was born in 1923 in Yerushalayim to parents that moved to Israel from, from Turkey. And they had a young child, they had a young child, Chaim David, or Chaim David, well, he wasn't rabbi at that age, he was a young age. Um, and most children at that age, they were sent to the local Alliance school, um, but at the uh, push of um, the local rabbi, Rab, uh, Rav uh, Ben-Sion Kuenka, um, they sent him to, Par I hope I pronounced that correctly, they sent him to Parat Yosef, um, which is um, eventually where he, he studied under the main Sephardic teachers of that, of that era, Rabbi Yosef Tawil and Rabbi Ezra Atiyah. And he was actually part of a veritable who's who of Sephardic, who would become Sephardic leaders and luminaries in the 20th century. Some people such as David Shlosh, Chacham uh, Ovadia, uh, Sion Levi, Ben Sion Abashaol, etc. And these these people, they would honestly, from, from both in Israel and around the world, they would actually start, they would take the helm and they would provide leadership and they would provide teaching to so many Sephardic communities. And it's amazing to think when, you know, you read about these Chachamim that all studied at the same time in Porat Yosef and how they, you know, really passed on these teachings in various different forms. Now, whereas most of the uh, people I, 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 I listed, they, they stayed together in one specific group, for example, it was here at Parat Yosef where Rukhaim David Halevi would meet and he would fall under the influence of and he would be taught by uh, Rabbi Ben-Sion uh, Ozier. And that would be the most impactful and formative relationship of his life. Even the Rabbi Ziel, he had a very interesting relationship with the rest of the yeshiva and the rest of the Shiva administration, he was still in his role as Nasi, he would still teach students, and he would impart his Torah and his approach, which stressed the importance of Jewish thought and philosophy, together with the need to attain general knowledge, as well as Torah knowledge. He then, Rabbi he then went on to serve in the army during uh, the War of Independence, and then he got married to Miriam Waknin, and he became a, a rabbi in Romana, Romana, um, I think as the Americans call it, and he then served as a secretary to Rav Ziel for a couple of years, which he said were, were the best years of his life. He then left Yerushalayim, he went to Rishon Zion, he worked in the community there, teaching, and he'd start to write his books. He'd make a visit to the Americas and visit the communities there to help fundraise too. Interestingly, just a very interesting episode, which I think is very valuable to share and to know, is that he was part of an organization called the Agudat Haravanim Hasafardiyim, the Yisrael, which was a rare foray into politics for someone that he tried to stay away from politics as much as he could. And it was an organization that fought for Sephardic equality in the rabbinate, which up until this point had very heavily favored Ashkenazi rabbis, and they enjoyed better rights, better responsibilities, and better salaries. And thankfully, they were mostly successful in everything they set out to do. And the Agudat Harabanim Hasafaradim Israel had you know, its purpose ceased. Uh, you know, its, you know its, its purpose kind of like you know, came uh, you know uh, redundant, so to speak, and it kind of you know, fizzled out, so to speak. He was then appointed to the, to the chief rabbinate, and in the 70s became chief rabbi of Tel Aviv, succeeding Chacham Ovadia. And again, he would engage with the Sephardic communities. He would teach and continue writing. And his efforts were widely recognized. He won various prizes, including the Israel Prize and an honorary doctorate 
from Barilan uh, before passing away in 1998 on the 12th of Adar 5758. So that is a very short biography, just as, as a way of, uh, just it's very, very important. There's this great book um, by uh, Rabbi uh, Mark Angel um, with his son, Rabbi Chaim Angel, called Rabbi Chaim David Alevi, gentle scholar and courageous thinker. Again, really, 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 it's quite easy to get hold of. Um, they've also written one about Ravel Ziel, um, which is, I think, a bit not as easy to get hold of. Um, at least in the UK, it wasn't. I have heard they're trying to republish the Ravel Ziel one. Um, so definitely stay tuned. I think it's uh, Rabbi Angel together with Rabbi Boskula. So I think it's uh, worth keeping tabs on that. Again, very, very valuable for every Sephardic home to know and to have these on their bookshelves so that the people there are able to pick it up and find out about these luminaries um, in, in our tradition. Because as I said at the beginning, I was never taught about him. But he has, he has, Rabbi Khan he, he, he actually enjoyed uh, popularity in Israel where a lot of his works were studied, especially especially his, uh, his five... Five, yeah, five volume sets, Makar Chayim HaShalem, which is a very wonderful, wonderful synthesis of Halachan, Agadah. Um, and it was very much, especially until, at least definitely until quite recently, it was very much widely, widely studied in Israel, where because it really dealt with contemporary Jewish-Israeli life in, in ways that other, other Safarim don't necessarily do. Okay, Rabbi Mark Angel, he actually refers to him in this book as, as perhaps the last great Torah luminary in the classic tradition of Judeo-Spanish background. His parents, as I said, were Turkish Jews who, who settled at Ahel Moshe. So Rav Halevi would have enjoyed being brought up in a, in, in a Judeo-Spanish environment. But this world, as we know, it was entering its twilight years. The mass migrations and displacements and destruction of the 20th century had its effects. As communities eventually came into contact and traditions went the way they often do in the great melting pots. But Rav HaLevi was able, he himself was able to draw upon the rabbinic traditions of those who preceded him. And this was combined with a mastery of Torah, Talmud, Halakha Sefarim, both Sefaradi and Ashkenazi, sages both modern and medieval and there was a deep knowledge a deep appreciation and utilization of Kabbalah and his halakhic writings and even though he had no formal secular education he held that there was value in general knowledge he notes how the Sanhedrin they were expected to be up to date with contemporary general wisdom how would, would that not apply to the rabbis of each generation Without awareness of current scientific knowledge, rabbis could easily err. He would consult with doctors and the relevant literature as required. I believe children should be afforded general studies together with Torah studies, but would always stress the primacy of Torah study, stressing making sure that we always have the proper balance. So I've already discussed his, his um, relationship with Ravosia, which is very much formative in his, in his approach to Torah, his approach to teaching, his approach to Pesach Halacha. Rabbi Angel's got a whole chapter on it in this, um, in this book I mentioned. Also just go to Jewish Ideas. Ideas, I think that's the website, Rabbi Angel's uh, website. It's got a great introductory essay. Really, you can glean a lot from that. Great footnotes, an amazing, tremendous asset for people trying to uh, discover and learn more about Sephardic, uh, classic Sephardic um, Judaism. Now, in the first volume of the Principles Journal of the Chabura, 
we've released the first two. I was very fortunate and privileged to be asked to write about Rechaim David Halevi, who he was, and how he his and his role in understanding and appreciating Sephardic again, the classical Western Sephardic approach. And I went through one of his tishuvot in Asel Harav. Asel Harav is a I think it's a nine volume, if not if not nine. Eight. There's definitely at least eight of them. Um, volume, Shalot um, Shuvot, questions and answers, responsa. And in the seventh volume in, in Teshuvah 54, he, he deals with the, the concepts of the innovation of, of, of hala, in Halacha. He's asked, how can we, how can we, how can we innovate in Halacha? If it's Halacha, it's Halacha. If it's not Halacha, it's not Halacha. He goes through it again, go through the principles, go through my essay in the principles journal, Blineda, I'll link it, I'm not going to do it now just to ruin the flow. Go to the chabura.com.org, um, just search for Principles Journal, it's there. Also, Rabbi Dweck, the Rosh Chabura of um, the Chabura here, he went through in his response series, he went through this Tushuvah in depth, really worth going through, really worth listening to it to get full appreciation of the Tushuvah, of its ramifications, its significance and its importance. And also Rabbi Yonatan Alevi um, from San Diego, Shiviti, he, um, he went through in one of his classes, he, he, he teaches a class, UK to the UK every Tuesday night. We went through it as well once as well. So great opportunities to go through this foundational and fundamental teshuvah in helping understand understand and his approach to halakha and what halakha is. Because he saw halakha, if we take the word halakha, halakha needs to go. It's something that has come with us on the whole journey from Har Sinai, but it's not something that froze in time. For halakha to continue to work, for halakha to continue to be relevant, he, he understood that the rabbis and the legal minds of the Jewish people in every single generation had a role in applying the law through innovating halachic novelties on a long journey from Har Sinai. And the practical application of this, as we now move into the subject matter at hand, is regarding the tefillah of Nachem on Tisha B'Av. So Tisha B'Av, as we mourn the destruction of the Tubate Hamikdash, the 2,000 years of exile and wandering we've been through, and the tremendous tragedies that have taken place on that day throughout history, there is a tefillah that we say, that we say, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about when we say it. Nachem, Nachem, has everyone got the source sheet? Are we all good on the source sheet? Do you want me to bring up on screen? I can't, I can only see my wonderful face. I can't see anyone else. Um, shall I share it? Any, anyone? Anyone want to, uh, has everyone got it? Shall I share it? Let's share it, let's share it, let's share it. You know, sharing is after all, caring. So let's do that. Have we got that? Are we all good? Can everyone see that? Oh gosh. Yeah, we all got that? Avi, yes or no? Yep. Yeah, great. Okay, so brilliant. So Nachem, so I don't know if everyone, Nachem, I don't know if everyone um, is familiar, again, the idea of the familiarity with it is something that we just said on Tisha B'Av. So this is the, uh, from, from the Safaria, Sidon Nosach Ebut HaMizrach, that I uh, put onto the source sheet over here. Let's just go through it quickly. Nachem, Hashem Elokeinu, Etz Aveli Siyon, Etz Aveli Yerushalayim, Etz Ha'ir, Hacharavah, Vahabuzuyah, Vahashomemam, Ebli Banehi Yoshevet. Okay, God, our Lord, console the mourners of Sion and the mourners of Jerusalem, the city that is in ruins, despised and desolate. She sits 
Legions have devoured and deprived her and out of your people is and put your people, that's my mistake, it's my own loose translation, your people Israel to the sword and have wantonly murdered the pious ones of the Most High. Therefore, Zion weeps bitterly in Jerusalem, raising her voice. My heart, my heart grieves for the slain. My innards, my innards, they ache for their slain. For you, God sets her afire with fire. You will ultimately rebuild her. As it's written, I will beat her, says God, a wall of fire around her, and I shall be for glory in her midst. And some not hearts, some people will end with the Baracha. It wasn't in the safari, so I didn't, I didn't bring it here. It's not brought here. So you read about it, it evokes the tremendous destruction that, that, that what happened at the time. And it's telling us, it's reminding us of the state of Jerusalem. Again, we read in Echa, Echa, alas, how the city sat, sat, sat in ruins. Painting a picture of this, the crown of the world was torn apart by its invaders. It's something that we allude to in this tefillah. But the question is, if we go immediately into this, into this teshuvah, Okay, that's the title of Ba'od. As in, it's correct, is it correct to say, Nachem, comforts the destroyed, disgraced city desolate without her children and Tisha B'Av nowadays? So the she'ela, so the question is, I've got another question for you. So the question is quite obvious. Now, after Sahal, after the IDF, they conquered Jerusalem, and huge crowds of Jews filled the Kotel Plaza with celebration. Can it really be that the Nachem prayer on Tisha B'Av, Mincha, we say, about Jerusalem, it is currently the city in mourning. It is currently the city that is desolate and disgraced without children. How can we say such a thing? How can we say such a thing? I mean, this was this was asking then. This was asking then. Okay, I don't know if I don't know if you've uh, just as an aside point. If 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 you read, obviously I wasn't alive during the Six Day War. I don't know if you've read, ever read anything about the Six Day War, but I can't ever read anything about the events of the Six Day War without walking away with my mind blown. These things shouldn't have happened. The fact that Israel walked away in the position that I walked away in is, ju is just the opportunity. I mean, I've read it in however many books, you know, I've read, uh, if you read Rav Goren, his, his telling of, of taking it, you know, just something I recently read over again, this was fresh in my mind. It's just, and you can probably understand the sense of what it filled the people in Israel with, the sense of miraculousness, of destiny, of history unfolding at the time, 
And I, I, I do feel it's not we've not got time to go into it right now, but I do feel it's something that's quite significant in the worldview of Rabbi Davanelli. And it's something that we see in this question as well. How could it be? Taking away these pictures. You look at the pictures of the of the of the of the commanders of the of the paratroopers in the Kotel Plaza. You can't, your mind. And that was then. I was I was very lucky to spend a couple of years in Israel. A long time ago now, I'm not gonna say how long ago it's you know it makes me feel feel way older than I am. What it was then to what it was every single time I go back, it just keeps on developing, it keeps on growing. You, you just go and you just see how, how the city is not necessarily satin morning. So how can we say it is satin morning? And this is what, if we dive into the Shuva, this is what he says, um, with this you are right. It is, I've also felt this. On the first Tishabab, the first Tishabab after the Six Day War, he's saying this. The first Tishabab of the Six Day War. I'm just not able to say these words. Because these fall into the category of speaking falsehoods before the Almighty. There's actually translation underneath. Someone on Safari, like if you scroll down, you'll see translation. Feel free to follow me, read ahead, whatever you want. Um, um, whatever you're comfortable with. Someone had done it already. I should have probably put it in here, but you know that I will, I will update the source sheet afterwards with correct attribution. So it's not just... It's not just every day of the year, and especially in the Mo'adim, including Yom Hasmaot, Yom and Yerushalayim, that Yerushalayim is, is teeming with celebration. Thousands upon thousands of children, okay, thousands and thousands of children, come to a uh, Jerusalem in celebration. The Ha. Sorry, go on. It's not just throughout the year and specifically on the day or even specifically on the days of festival and Moed, such as the 5th and the 20th of the year, Yom Yerushalayim, and Yom Hasmoth, sorry, Yom Hasmoth and Yom Yerushalayim, Shokeke Yerushalayim Hamon Chogeg, where Jerusalem is teeming with celebration, Alpaim, Alpaim, Bane Hashem thousands upon thousands of children, Baim El Yerushalayim HaChogeget, come to Jerusalem in celebration, and it's crowned with, with, with happiness and joy. Putting a sense of national pride in the hearts of everyone in Israel. Even on Tisha B'Av, the national day of mourning. When so many people come to the Kotel, Yisrael, Bet Yisrael, Hamavi, they come to, uh, people who come to, from Bet Yisrael, they come to the Kotel Maravi, they come wrapped in, in their mourning of the destruction of the Bayat. There's a certain corner of my heart, 
which is not able where the where the, the morning cannot reach. This is the corner of Simcha, of the joy of the Rashid, so the first flowering of our of our redemption. I remember when I when I when I first left Israel, I um I was actually in the States, I was in New York, I had a very, very dear friends of mine. And so a while ago before, you know, we had the internet everywhere and everything. And so like Aish, you know, they had the Kotel camera. Um, that was like the big thing. That was like the cool thing to use on the internet, to tune in. So I was actually in New York for Tisha B'Av, and I was at friends of mine. And after in the evening, you know, his parents were like, come look at the Kotel, look at the Kotel. And I just remember seeing the Kotel filled. That first time I'd, I'd seen it, um, Tisha B'Av. Again, he, I, I very much identified with this sense of simcha, of this joy, even on Tisha B'Av. Seeing all these people, this was late because we were way ahead in New York time. You know, I don't know if any of you ever been to Tisha B'Av at the Kota. I mean, if you saw the videos this year going around on social media, just all the, all the people sat there singing, you feel what Rukhan David Levy is saying. It's not necessarily a sense of mourning. You feel the redemption unfolding, redemption unfolding. You, you see it, you feel it, you feel it. If you've ever been there, Tisha B'Av, you should be you should be in, in Israel for all of the more. Each one has got its own specific flavor. You can't get that anywhere else in the world. You just can't. Tisha B'Av as well, very, very powerful to be in, in Israel, to be in Yerushalayim, to be at the Kota for. There's a sense of simcha, not just mourning. The mourning can't touch there. It's got no, it doesn't have any power over this. But let's continue. This, this wall, this wall, this kotel, which is also known by its name, the, the, the kotel of the wall of tears, the wailing wall. Where we see that the Shekhinah was exiled all this time. Even after the destruction, the big day, which is dressed in garments of blackness and darkness, as you see in the Zohar Kadosh, in Pinchas and the Raya Mehemna. And when a person, and when any Jew approaches there, it's a, we're, to, we're moved to tears over the exile of the Shekhinah. But now, when anyone goes there, when anyone goes there, it's, it's impossible. It's impossible. We don't feel some form of simcha, some form of inner joy. Have you been there for Birkat's Koranim on the Mardim? Have you seen the pictures? The Kotel Plaza, packed. Where there's Birkat's Koranim, whether it's Chakaz, whatever day it is, when you see it, do you not feel this joy? Do you not see? Do you not? Do you not? The Kinnir Shagam Shkinat Hashem Ena Atuya Yotzebu Yudechajavagadar. It's likely even God, even the Shekhinah itself, has discarded these clothes of garments of blackness and darkness. Mol Shlam Hashlema. In the presence of the whole Jerusalem, which is complete and united under the rule of Israel. 
לא מהאלישם זאת, החרבה הבזויה והשממה מבלי בניה, so therefore it's no doubt in my mind that this is דובר שקל בני השם. But this is definitely an issue of speaking falsehoods before the Almighty. To say these words, the city which is destroyed and disgraced, city desolate without her children. Especially true in the Ashkenazic one. which is in mourning for lack of her children, her dwellings destroyed, her glory disgraced, utterly desolate. This is definitely, this is definitely speaking false. To say lack of children, her dwellings destroyed, her glory disgraced, utterly desolate, go to Jerusalem nowadays. Tell me that this is the case. It's because of this, because of this reason, I become accustomed to add one word. So therefore, I just have one word to change one other thing in the text, to avoid these falsehoods. See that word? Shahayata. That was. That was. Ulfizah, just continue after the dots, when my mouth says, Ulfizah, Tfilahi, Shinachim Hashem, Tavali Siyom, Vishalayim, Betahe, Shahayata, Adka, Adka, Kharava, Vishamama, Bibibanaha. Ach, Adayan, Zukuka, Hilinachama. So what we're saying is the tefillah now is for God to comfort, for God to comfort the mourners of the Sion and Yerushalayim, as well as the city which up until now was destroyed and desolate. Ah, I still need comfort. Until it says, I will be a wall of fire. Around the ground, I will be within her. So until that point, we still need comfort. But right now, to say it is a city desolate and destroyed? No, we can't say that. Old texts, new realities. An old text of Nachem, an old text. It's been around for a long time. A new reality of a Jerusalem be built, rebuilt. A non, no more desolate Jerusalem. Shahayatah. I'm going to note one more thing he continues that he didn't ask me about. Now, the custom is nowadays is that we say Nachem in Mincha of Tishabah. However, he picks up on this. He says, he says, it must have been the question. The question says, We say this in 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 Mincha of Nachem. We say Mincha Nachem in Mincha. He says, He's going to pick up on that point and he says, Well, is that is that necessarily the case? Maran. This is the this is the text of Maran. But Tisha Ba'av, Omeba, Bonish, Nachem Hashem, and Kenneth, and Velision, etc. This is what Maran, the Shukhan Aruchi, writes on the night of Av, 
you say in the Baracha of Bona Yishalayim, you say this text, Nachem Hashem, etc. And in Anenu, you say Shemei HaTefilat. Now, it's interesting because from this, it seems quite clear. We say Nachem in all the Tefilot. Just as we say Anenu in all the Tefilot. So the Ramah, and you see the Haggai, if you see his glosses there, his note there, the common practice is that we only say Nachem at Mincha because that's when the fire, that's when the fire burst in. So that's when we pray for, for the comfort. This is how this is the this is the custom in Ashkenazim. According to Maran, you've got to say this is old tefillot. such as we see. Sorry, so we see this in the Chidah Berke Yosef. We see the Peri Chadash, who was the Rav of Jerusalem. Uh, the odd other ones, but we say that in Kilotas Fadim it's custom to say it in Mincha alone. So every community should keep the same practice to avoid Machloket. But if it's possible, if it's possible, to educate the community that Maran's position is to say in everything tefillah, and if it's possible for all the kilos faradim to do this, how lovely and pleasant. God willing, may we merit the comforts of Sion and Yerushalayim. So that's the tif- that, is, that is his teshuvah, an old text of Nachem, a new reality of a rebuilt Yerushalayim. And he says that it can't be. It can't be that we we're going to say these lies. He he couldn't look around Yerushalayim the, that long ago. This was a long time ago now. Okay, Jerusalem then was nothing like Jerusalem is now. It wasn't. Okay, it's come leaps and bounds since then. Now it's got a light rail, you've got you know canyon on every single corner, you've got world-class restaurants, you've got again, you go to the cartel any time of day, packed, I mean low, I mean not packed, but, you know, not, there's always people there, yeshivot, seminaries, that this, this Jerusalem is not a desolate and destroyed city. Of course, he says, makes it very clear. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. But it's definitely not something that we can start saying is currently destroyed. It's just not so. He suggests one word, an old text, a new reality. Now, it's very interesting. It's very interesting because if we go a bit further down, so we see I've got here. So in the second volume, so that was in the first volume, in the second volume, he actually defends his position against four different uh, questioners, people sending questions and picking up on this, they're like, how, how, can you, how, how can you do this? I mean, this is not a simple thing to just change the text, okay? It's, you can see what you can think, what people would say 
if it got out that someone wants to change the text of a tefillah, the kind of accusations they would make. So in the second volume, he has four teshuvot combined into one, okay, where he defends, and it's a very illuminating thing to see. I'm going to go over the first three, just outside, just me talking, and then we'll pick up by the last one, which again, kind of is very important and illuminating in the sense of understanding, again, his approach and how to deal with halachic methodology in changing times. So the first question, it says quite simply, he's bothered by the word, adding the word shahita and changing Yoshev to Yoshev. Why not, why not do the same to Anenu? What is the Sarah? So if you look in Anenu, it speaks about Sarah, Sarah, these troubles that were totally in. He's saying, okay, fine, great. Six-day war has come and gone. Look at the position Israel is in. Okay, what is the Sarah we're in? Let's, let's change that. So he says, listen, when it comes to Anenu, okay, we're still definitely mourning the Tzarot that befell our fathers in those days and have not been rectified. And we are still in the state of affliction, even though it's not the complete affliction as it was in the time that those Taniyot were instituted. As long as there's not been a full redemption, it's very, it's very cognizant of the fact there's not been a full, full redemption, okay? It's the Reshit Smichat Gulatenu in his eyes, the beginning, but it's not the, the Gula itself. So there's not been a Tikkun for the destruction and the exile. The question says, look at, look at Entebbe, look at Entebbe. Entebbe, something I learned, took place on the 17th of Tammuz. So how can we say that Entebbe rescue mission, uh, the, day of the rescue mission of Entebbe is the day of Sarah? He says like this, Ah, so you want to say that the Entebbe rescue mission was greater than the Six-Day War? But look at us, look at us, we're still in a state of Sarat with political issues, with military systems and armies, yeah, poised against us. And until the redemp until the Mashiach has come, we're still subject to these Sarat that befell us. But it's just, it's quite clear, we can't say, and this is something he repeats again and again, that the city is destroyed and forlorn, okay? So this question says, ah, oh, maybe they would have said the, um, maybe they would have said Nachem joined the destruction of the first temple, joined the times of the second Beit Hamikdash, and Nachem was like, you got no proof for this. How can you say such a thing? How can they say Nachem when the second Beit Hamikdash was was still standing? So that's the first question. The second question, he says, ah, what, what's so special about you now? And now you want to make the change. What about all the generations and the people in Yerushalayim and all the rabbis and the yeshivas? They didn't think to change Nachem. Are you, you're so special. You think you can change Nachem? You don't get to see the Sheila like we saw. You've got to basically glean the question from the from the um, from his response. He says like this. He says he says quite clearly, as I mentioned before, the Six Day War was a game changer. We've now got sovereignty over the old city, sovereignty over Harabayat. In previous generations where the non-Jewish nations ruled over it, it was clearly in state of destruction and desolation, even if thousands of Jews lived there throughout, throughout the thousands of years since the destruction. Okay? And he brings the Bet Yosef to help understand, to clarify Khurban, the state of Khurban is when the citizens of Israel are in the hands of non-Jews, even if they're settled. But now, when we've got power of Yerushalayim and Israel, People live there and they fill the courtyards of the house of God, that is the Kotel, with Kol Rina. And we can thank God was no longer in a state of Khurban. So how, again, how can we say the city was destroyed and desolate? It will be Dover Shekarim. The third question is, okay, but still look at it. Still look at it. 
many many zarim you know people live there strangers live there okay um it's, it's the same it's the same well, it's, I'm, I'm actually going to miss I'm, I'm going to miss out the third one purely because the fourth one really deals with it as well okay but he says he says like this you know Nachem was written after destruction when the romans had made it capitalina jews couldn't even live there in those times so the words of Nachem were correct but in our days yes we're mourning the better Dash, but the city is now under jewish rule it's protected and guarded by sahal can we still can we still say mibliba neha okay this, the person was saying there's people still in galop people still in the diaspora yes there are people in the diaspora okay but even during the times of the Mikdash, people lived in the diaspora. It's always something that's, that's blown my mind. There's a better Mikdash and people in, in, in Galot. Okay, fine. It's a different discussion for a different time. And during the times of the temple, there were, there were many non-Jews lived in, in, in Israel and Jerusalem. Okay, was, was that then a state of Bezuyah? In the first times of the first temple, people served idols. Not everyone was religious, so to speak. Okay, now, yeah, you're right, there's churches and mosques. Is it still... He, he pushes all these questions off. It's like saying, there's nothing necessarily new here. Can we still say this is enough for us to say the city is destroyed, is desolate? There are no children. Sitting there forlorn like a barren woman that's had no children. Okay, so he says we can't go to the Kodesh. But the fourth question, he says like this. It seems to be that the person that asked the question says, how can you change? How can you change something that was instituted, you know, thousands of years ago? It seems to be that the person is bringing a proof from Rav Amram uh, from Amram Gaon, okay. But there's a difference between the Shemona Esra, the Amidah, and the text that was instituted by the Anshe Knesset and Nachem. Okay. Now, when it comes to the Shemona Esra, you can't change. You can't change anything. You can't change even one word. It was written with Ruach Hakodesh. But we can't apply this. To Nachem, which was not instituted by the Anshe Knesset Agudola. It was done something after the destruction. Think about it. If someone's going to tell you that Nachem was instituted by the Anshe Knesset Agudola, so you're telling me that the Anshe Knesset Agudola, who sat there at the beginning of Bayat Sheni, that they would have sat there and formulated this prayer with the prediction of the destruction of a temple that they were currently building or having just built it, predict who would destroy it. And how it will be destroyed by the by the legions, it mentions the legions, the Roman legions. You man, he says you man cannot even fathom this. It was written after destruction. So therefore it doesn't have the same privileges and protections as the rest of the Amidah. It doesn't have a if you were to miss out saying it, you don't go back. It's not like any, any other part of the Amidah. Now it seems to be that this person sent in from the text of the Shuvah, sent in a copy of a of a response from another Rav. So Rav Hamdan says, change this text, let's add this extra word. Another Rav, very chashuv rabbi apparently, he says, he sent in, he said, he, he wrote a psaac against changing it. Now, if we go back to the source sheets, he says like this. Uh, oh gosh, sometimes sorry, uh, if you click a bit too eagerly, you know, it gets a, a bit ahead of itself. So he says like this, aton. Musulam, okay, seeming from 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 what he sent him, that this Rav is great. Okay, and he says I can't make I can't change it. And it's not it's, who am I speaking by himself? 
to disagree with him, sorry, this was an OCR, this was an OCR thing from the Teshuvah that I put into a thingy. I literally did this probably about 10 minutes before, before we started, so apologies. Okay. This is like this. So you want to tell me, you want to tell me that I can't disagree with that Rav? That's not how Halacha works, Rachel Davilevi tells us. After once Chatimat HaTalmud was done, once the Talmud was sealed, the Rashot was given, the permission was given for every person, show your work, bring your proof, bring your evidence, okay? And if you, if you, if you believe it and you can show it, you can demonstrate it, so, you know, you can you can change Nachem. You can change Nachem. He even says the Harambam or Maran, people disagreed with them then and now and, and generations afterwards. And it seems from what he says, that many things that we do are not necessarily purely going according to Harambam or Maran. He says like this, he continues, Zot Hagadon, even the great Bet Din in Jerusalem, Hassan Hadrin. That was given that they were given this authority to be posek on all of Israel. And anyone that acted contrary to their hara'a, to their teachings, would be chayav mita. Ah, okay. <laughs> Again, the OCR, the rebellious sage, as we've seen Halacha, this is talking about the Varengodalim, foundational, great matters alone. Talking about things where if you to do it on purpose, it's correct. If you to do it by mistake, you get chatat. As if you look into a harambam in Hilchot Mamrim, Per Gimel Halachahe, Avabi Yetanish Pitea Torah, but other things through the Torah, the Hosha came with Varim Sheinam, Sheinam in the Torah, things that are not even from the Torah, because she came with Kavachom with Varim Shehem, Marian, Inyan Nachem, and all the more so with things like Nachem, Lo Allah Al Hadat, Afilu the San Hedreg Dollar, Shibushalam, the Hatim Marot, Sukhot. This wasn't this wasn't necessarily part of the original purview. This wasn't the range of their of their um, authority. The Koshikel, the Rosh Achrei Chorban, Shabbatslasam Hadrin. The Koshikel, the Kavachom and the Dorenu. And he says like this, and all the more so now later. And again, it's going back to that original thing I said to you: this this understanding of what halacha is, of how. The authority has been given to the Rabbanim, to the sages, to innovate. And to make sure that halakha isn't frigid, isn't frozen. It can continue with us and come with us appropriately and justly, reflecting the changes of the times in the most 
appropriate manner. And as an introduction to the thought of Rabbi Chaim David Alevi, we've, again, go and, go and check out the article, go and check out the tshuva, my writing, my, my writer. Listen to the class from Rabbi Dweck. Understand this is what underpinned, this, this is how we applied and go through his tshuva, you'll see it in many other cases as well, of how he would respond to new realities. And taking his mastery of all the sources of his tradition and his worldview, that classical Sephardic worldview, and understanding how to ensure the Torah can be applied appropriately and relevantly to every single generation. So before Tisha B'Av, I would have continued with the next Tisha B'Av, Yud Gimel, which is, um, he's asked, why do we even have Tisha B'Av at all? But it's, it's late now, um, it's all here. Um, he goes through the Pesukim. It's also in the, the, his introduction to the Halachot for the three weeks in Makar Chaim. Um, it's a bit beyond the scope for now. That is a picture of of um, of Rabbi If anyone that would like to put a face to the name, uh, thank you very much for everyone that tuned in for listening. Thank you for having me. I hope that was okay. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you all got something from it. Um, thank you very much, um, Ethan. Back to you. Yeah, thank you so much, Warren Zakabul. If anyone has any questions, please uh, enter in the chat. Um, just out of curiosity, Warren, how did you get involved and interested in Rabbi Chaim Where did you learn? Where did you learn? Where did I what? Sorry? How did you learn about Rabbi Chaim Dalit not He's a bit obscure in the modern literature. Yeah, so I'll tell you the truth. So I actually asked years ago, and I'll tell you this again, four or five years ago, when I was like, you know what, I need to become more literate in. Um, you know, uh, so I asked, um, I asked, I asked Rabbi Dweck, I was like, yo, um, not yo, I was like, hi, Rabbi Dweck, you know, respectfully. Um, I was like, hi, yeah, I'm looking to uh, kind of like see who I can glean, you know, who, who I can learn from, which Chachamim, which, which rabbis, teachers, both contemporary and, 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 and previous. Um, and he mentioned Rav uh, Oziel, Ben Oziel. Now, the thing about Rav uh, Oziel's writing is it's quite, uh, it's quite, um, it's a bit less accessible. However, so then I, through that, I learned about Rukhav Ben-Halevi, just, again, reading, again. I, I tried to get a hold of the, of the Rav Uziel book by, um, by Chaim Angel, uh, Mark Angel, sorry. Here. Yeah, this one. Couldn't get hold of it. Very hard to get hold of it. Um, but this one was actually very accessible. So I was like, you know what? I like books. So I got this book read about it and got hold of his safari i was able to get hold of his safarim again compared to uh Rav Oziel stuff in the uk a lot easier to get hold of um i got hold of his halacha safarim pride of um pride of um placed on our shelves you know i've got i've got to shavuot that, that's basically how i got there it's just a case of it is slightly more accessible and again just it was easy to get up the stuff so so i was able to learn his to learn if you, if you get what i mean Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's all the questions we have for now, but I really awesome. thank you so much. And uh, thank you, and thank you all again for joining us. And for please check out the Habura, which is what Ward is a student of, and God willing to be back again soon for more digital academy classes, inshallah. God bless. Thank you so much, guys.